Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Herbie's Cooking Corner for August 15th, 2023. And uh, I am, of course, Herbie Allen. Who else would you expect on Herbie's Cooking Corner? Well, actually, it's Herbie's Community Cooking Corner, and that means you can expect the entire community. And, well, maybe not the entire community, but um, we are actually going to have a non-community member with us today. And uh, you've all heard him before if you've listened to previous shows. And if not, well, then you'll get to hear him for the first time. Tori's brother, Carl. And he is an amazing cook. And he has a lot of uh, neat uh, recipes and stuff that uh, might be useful to try if uh, you are looking for simple things to cook. And so we're going to do that. We're going to hear the recipes that he has and um, the tips. And then we will pause for anybody that wants to ask uh, questions or comments. This uh, interview is pre-recorded. Tori nor Carl cannot be with us today, unfortunately, due to uh, circumstances beyond their control. But um, we hope to have uh, Tori back with us next week. And uh, that will definitely be a good thing. So, first of all, for those of you that uh, have missed previous cooking calls, and um, I'm hearing some kind of background noise from somewhere, um, so if everybody can check their mutes, that would definitely be very, very much appreciated. I think I got it. All right. So, uh, first of all, we have an amazing crew taking care of us all today. We've got Darcy hosting, Kayla Log broadcasting and connecting and moderating, and uh, I guess I... uh, Connecting and moderating. And uh, Anthony is our streamer, so I guess it's a DAC day or a CAD day or an ADK day. I don't know how uh, you you can do all sorts of things with the initials there. Um, But... um, so uh, Carl is um, like like Tori. He's an amazing uh, cook. Except he's, he's definitely done a lot of very cool cooking things. He's actually uh, done everything from uh, not just stovetop and the oven, but he's done campfires and barbecues and things like that. And um, he is kind of more or less. I, I think it's fair to call him like a, a bit of a self-taught uh, cook in a way. But uh, he's definitely developed a lot of um, techniques over the years. And uh, he, you know, everybody's enjoyed having him so much that we had him on for a second time very recently where um, he talked about tips like how to use the oven and uh, things like that. And uh, we decided to bring him on one more time and he could talk about some of his favorite recipes. So we're going to hear the uh, first recipe, and then uh, we will pause and see if anybody has any comments. And on that note, here we go. So today, ladies and gentlemen, we are here to talk to Carl about his favorite recipes. First of all, Carl, welcome back to the call. Hello, thank you very much. I just want to say that you've been a big hit the last couple of times you've been on here. So much so that people really would not object if you ever wanted to take over the call. Well, Tori might have been, <sighs> I don't know, but, uh, um, you know. Well, that um, depends. If he, takes, if, if he takes over and I then um, get a break, then that's fine. There's only one Herbie's cooking for. And that's, you know, I leave it to the experts. 
All nice. right. That sounds good. Okay. Well, we're, we're, I'm really glad to hear that. I am at least. I can't speak for all the uh, listeners out there, but um, <laughs> I digress. Okay. So today we're here to talk about your favorite recipes and any additional cooking tips and trips you want to share, uh, tips you want to share as well. So um, let's uh, get right into the food. So uh, what types of things, uh, first of all, do you like to cook and what recipes are you going to share with us today? I prefer to cook savory i think which um i i like cakes and things and i do like baking and when i do bake you know i'm normally quite pleased with the results but to be honest with you i um yeah i i I prefer to cook savory because obviously you need to kind of cook like meals i feel like it's really important to enjoy you know you have to cook your dinner every day so it's kind of i feel like it's really good to make to make that like that a thing because it's so easy to just think I'll make snacks and then that tires you out and then you just eat your snacks and then you're not eating healthy, you're not eating balanced. So I feel like kind of things in order. I may well look at a sweet recipes later on, but today we're focusing mostly on savory things. And the recipes I've got, I've not got loads of planned recipes to talk through because the thing with favorite foods is that that depends so much on the time of year, on how tired you are, on the time of day, on, you know. So what I thought I'd talk about today is a few things that can kind of be adapted, I suppose. So maybe talk about them, talk about some variations. Yeah, see how that goes. The first thing is I like cheese. Um, let's get that out of the way. There's going to be a lot of cheese today. Terribly sorry if that's the problem for people, but I like cheese. That'll be a problem with a lot of people. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and of course, the good thing about cheese is that there are vegetarian and vegan options now, so you can substitute relatively well for this first recipe particularly. So the first recipe is actually one that comes from a cookbook, which I got. It's actually a student cookbook, but quite frankly, it's wonderful. It's, it's Student cookbooks are really good for three reasons. Firstly, they focus on cheaper food, so that's helpful when you're on a budget. Secondly, they focus on fairly straightforward food for the most part, which is kind of more practical, I guess, for blind people because they're looking at people with limited cooking utensils and limited cooking space and stuff like that. And thirdly, they're really quite varied. So student cookbooks are a great place to start because you get kind of a mix of things like Mexican food, Asian food, like there's fish, there's vegetarian And there's kind of nice kind of, I guess, home comforts. UK and US student cookbooks might be different, but um, yeah, they're a really good source. So I think I recommend people look for accessible student cookbooks and they're bound to be something fun and interesting in there. And so this recipe is, it's actually called pasta pie. And essentially it's kind of like a quiche. Um, So you make, um, uh, with, with a quiche, you'd make a topping of eggs and cream and cheese whisked together and then uh, you bake that and then as you bake it that sort of rises kind of like a souffle I suppose because that's essentially what a souffle is really. The quiche however is normally done in a in like a pastry like pie dish like a uh, like a pastry tart sort of case kind of like a deep dish pizza if you like but properly sort of like with sides rather than you know, just a thick base. But uh, I've often seen quiches cooked with uh, pasta at the base. So actually you you cook pasta and then you sort of press that down into the base of your flanton and then you pour the topping over and then the, the mixture sort of seeps in among the pasta and then it sort of rises 
and sort of holds the pasta together kind of as, as part of that cooking process. That's a good way of, I guess there's a bit less fat in that because obviously you put fat when you make pastry, like uh, marge, margarine or lard or oil to sort of bind it together. Whereas if you're just using pasta for your base, you don't have to do that because there's enough fat. There's enough fat in the cream and the cheese of the quiche anyway. So it's a good way of making it slightly healthier. This isn't healthy, let's not pretend, but it makes it slightly better. This kind of does away with that preparation, basically, this recipe, um, because you uh, basically mix it all together. So for this recipe, uh, you're going to need, now I'm I'm going to use roughly, the rest this recipe uses grams. We might need to do a bit of work. I can roughly con- con- convert to ounces. Um, 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 you can usually use your Alexa device for that or your Google. And what were you going to say, Tori? Uh, that's what I was going to say is most smart devices can convert for you. So if you just give the grams call and anyone yeah. who wants to can, can with their favorite piece of technology. Great stuff. Okay. So the recipe then, so uh, the ingredients, you're going to need one tablespoonful of, of oil. Uh, that could be any kind of cooking oil, essentially, that you're going to use. So it's basically just for frying uh, vegetables. You can have 450 grams of leeks, which you sort of shake the ends off. Anyone who's not prepared leeks before, I hope I'm not patronizing, but leeks are kind of uh, long, straight vegetables. Vegetables? Yeah, I think they're vegetables. They've got kind of a bulbous sort of base end where they grow from. So you chop that off. And then they've got kind of a tuft of leaves at the top. So you chop them just below where those leaves sprout out. And then you basically have a cylinder which you can slice along like you might making carrot rings. They're kind of overgrown green onions. Yeah, very much like that, really. And I did confirm with Alexa just now that they are vegetables, so. They are. There we go, then. There we go. Normality has been restored. With leeks, you should wash them because often they get dirt caught among those leaves. So it's a good idea to cut all those off, uh, but like then uh, to give them a reasonable wash um, and, cut and like rinse them under cold water, sort of you know, run dirt away. So then you can slice them, as I said, into rings. You can also sort of slice them in half first so that you essentially get kind of half rings because they've, they're kind of like onions in that they're kind of layered so that they'll kind of fall apart into into sort of slices. That's that's okay. That's how they work. So 450 grams of leeks, one clove of garlic, crushed four eggs, beaten, 142 milliliters carton of cream, single cream. Now that's the size that small cartons of cream come in here. And so I suspect you'll be looking at whatever the smallest sort of carton of cream is that you can get. 125 grams of cheese. Any type, the recipe actually you suggests Gruyere cheese, which is a type of French cheese, but most cheeses will be fine. I think I use all sorts really, Pass, um, like a classic kind of cheddar type hard cheese or maybe a sort of a blue cheese, but you want a fairly firm cheese. You don't want soft cheese for this really. Like, uh, And then 125 grams of pasta and you cook the pasta how you like it. So. I suggest you keep it slightly undercooked because you're going to cook it again when you mix it in with the recipe, but you do need to cook it first. So you cook pasta just in boiling water, maybe with a little bit of salt just to stop it from sticking, drain it quite thoroughly, let it cool a little bit. And then um, with this recipe, you need to sort of chop the pasta. Depends what type of pasta you're using. I would suggest like fusilli, like pasta twists or um, penne, sort of which are like the little tubes. 
rather than spaghetti or anything really uh, but you can use spaghetti if you want so chop the pasta roughly not too finely because it's kind of going to be there to bulk the dish up but sort of chop it anyway and then a little bit of salt and pepper if you want to season it. Um, so you're going to, the, the, the method then for what to do with this, so pre, preheat your oven to sort of 100 and, well, 180 degrees C, 350 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, or which is gas mark four. So it's kind of a fairly average cooking temperature that you'd have for your oven. Uh, then you're going to free, uh, heat the oil in the pan. So when I've spoken about frying here in the past, what I've suggested that's really important is that frying, the, the trick to frying is to heat pan first, really. So, you know, I really do think that's a good idea. So so put the pan oil in the pan when it's cold. Never pour oil into a hot pan because that's a good way to start a fire. Put a little bit of oil in the pan when it's cold and then heat the oil up, fry the leeks and the garlic until they're starting to soften, because that's the way that you kind of know that they cook. It's also about starting to brown. A lot of recipes will say when it starts to brown, basically you want them to start to soften. But it's actually quite easy to overcook things like onions and leeks and things. So, so that's not going to take as long as you think, maybe five to ten minutes. But it's about your choice, really, your preference. And you are going to cook these again like you know this is going in the oven when it's all combined so it's better probably better to undercook in this situation it won't it won't be a problem basically then you mix everything else into a big bowl uh, like a mixing bowl so that is all the ingredients together so you scrape you know you the the, the, the newly cooked leeks and uh, garlic and your pasta which is chopped and then you mix that in with your cream your beaten eggs and your cheese and you know and sort of any herbs that you want you know salt and pepper to season you sort of mix that fairly well but fairly roughly you know you don't need to get too it's not going to be fine it's going to be quite lumpy uh you know because it's got lumps of pasta and vegetables in it and then you want to pour that into a greased oven proof dish or tin a baking tin i found that with this recipe it's better to use a wider flatter tin than a deeper narrower one because you want as much surface area for this to rise in the past, I've just like I've tried to put it like in kind of a tall, kind of narrower, kind of like maybe like a like a tin for like a deep cake, but actually the middle then just doesn't cook properly. So it's better to have it in like a flatter, like a roasting tin. Um, so spread it evenly across in the roasting tin. You do want to grease the sides, but not too bad, not too much, because obviously it's got a bit of oil in the the cheese and the and the cream anyway but you know grease the side slightly and then we're going to put that in the oven uh, and bake it for 25 to 30 minutes it said it's an, it, it should go kind of a golden brown color if people can still see colors and essentially you want you want the topping to be set so when you sort of prod when you sort of touch the the middle of it you want that sort of to be firm not hard but you know you know it's not is that'll be overcooked really but you want it to be kind of firm really you don't want your fingers to sink into it or your you know your cutlery to sort of sink into it yeah and that's why it can be good to make sure that it's quite a flatter tin because it's easier to tell that it's kind of cooked all the way through really because yeah you want that to be cooked i'm saying kind of yeah fairly uh but it needs to be cooked quite thoroughly because obviously you've got raw egg in it so you need to make sure it's cooked properly with this recipe, because it's about the eggs, kind of the way that obviously these kind of things works is this should rise up, rise a little bit, because when the, the eggs are sort of beaten, they'll kind of get some air into it. And kind of the way that this works is that they'll, that they'll the steam and the cooking gases will kind of make it rise. 
And so it's not a good idea with these kind of recipes to open the door and check on them sort of too often. So really, certainly for the first sort of 20, 25 minutes, it's likely to need slightly longer than slightly less time. This is this, this recipe. So I would sort of leave it for the 25 minutes and then sort of, you know, take it out to, to check. Now, the good thing about this uh, recipe is that you can serve it how you like. So if you want to have a hot dish, you can have this hot. Um, it's quite good with perhaps a side salad or maybe some potato wedges. Um, but you can also serve it cold, cut it into sort of slices because when it's cold, it'll sort of set and you can cut it into sort of slices and serve it again, perhaps with a salad or, you know, as a starter, maybe, um, you know, for a cold meal or something like that. And it'll be sort of relatively firm. It should hold, hold together relatively well if it's cooked through because it'll all kind of bind together. So that's kind of the basic recipe, the one from the book. What I love about this recipe is that you can substitute 450 grams, kind of about a pound of leeks for anything you want. So that's a good, it's a vegetarian recipe. All you need to do is substitute that with vegan cheese and I guess a sort of a cream substitute. And uh, there's eggs, of course. So uh, I might in a minute, I'll hand over to Tori to talk about how she might veganize this. Um, no pressure. But what I would like to say is that you don't have to, to, to use the leeks. What I, I, I've had a great results with chicken and bacon. So um, you sort of, rather than having the 450 grams of leeks, you'll have maybe a couple of chicken breasts and like a pack of bacon and you'll chop them fairly roughly, fry them if uh, instead of obviously with, with the garlic at the beginning rather than frying the leeks. If you do that, meat takes a bit longer to cook. You don't need to cook it as, be as careful as you might if you were just going to eat it straight from when it was fried, because again, you're cooking it again, but you need to be obviously a bit more careful with chicken particularly. Um, yeah, and sort of mix that in. So that's a really nice kind of savory thing. And again, that works kind of hot or cold. You can put other, other, other vegetables in it really, rather than leeks or instead of the leeks, substitute some of the leeks for some red or green peppers or some mushrooms. I think that would go quite well with, with mushrooms actually. So I like it because it's versatile. I was saying at the beginning, I want to talk about variations. I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk about getting the hang of a recipe and then not being afraid to experiment with it. One of the things I find is that when I cook, I often like to find a recipe and follow that first and see how it's supposed to be. And then when I know what it's meant to turn out like, how it's meant to taste, how it's meant to look, even if, oh, you know, even if it's not, even if I don't really like it, I might know how I want it to be. So I can then start experimenting with this recipe. I can, you know, change up the fillings if if or if I like, maybe put a different, you know, a few different herbs in to match the different fillings. I can um, serve it, you know, hot in a different way, perhaps, or, or cold, or you know, how, however I like. And and I think that's an important thing. If we get get good at recipes, lots of people talk about having their standbys, and this is definitely one of mine. Really, this is this is. Um... So there we go, Tori. So I've talked about how you might make this more uh, meaty. How might you veganize this recipe? Well, I've actually had great success, as in good enough that even people who generally consider themselves meat eaters and tofu haters have enjoyed it enough to want seconds making a quiche where instead of using the cream and eggs, I've used silken tofu seasoned with salt, pepper, and turmeric, which gives the same texture and a similar kind of taste to the cooked egg. So I would do that 
um, for this recipe as well. So um, obviously when you're doing the tofu, you're already gonna have the height that it would have um, because the tofu is not gonna rise, but it will firm up as it cooks like the um, eggs would. That is what I would do to veganize it. And obviously substitute the cheese for a dairy-free alternative. And obviously, like Carl said, you can use different options for the vegetables if you don't want to use the leeks. Great stuff. Thank you very much. That's really helpful, actually. So here we go. So that is my first recipe. That um, any any thoughts or any questions from the the rest of the from Tori Herbie about that? Not really. It sounds like it's a pretty good recipe and there's definitely quite a few variations that you can do with it. And uh, I'd say, you know, if the uh, tofu haters love it, then uh, stick with the uh, healthy uh, alternatives and uh, you'll have a much better experience. But uh, definitely sounds like a pretty good uh, recipe for sure. Okay. All right. And on that note, uh, we will pause right here. And uh, see if anybody has any questions, comments, thoughts, all that uh, jazz before we uh, move on. Okay, we have somebody. Oh, we have Jill. Jill all right, Jill. Jill. Hello, everyone. Um, that was great. I really enjoyed uh, hearing that recipe and I never heard of using pasta to make like a crust. So that's really a neat idea, but I was thinking, uh, it might work really well with a noodle, like an, um, elbow noodles, because then you don't have to chop it up and it, it seems like it'd be easy to smooth and get kind of flat into, um, a, you know, pie plate or whatever you're going to use as your baking dish. And then you could build it up as high as you want, or thin or as thick as you want. So seems like something easy to work with an elbow noodle. Yeah, that, that definitely uh, would have the advantage for sure. So that, mm -hmm. that's uh, worth trying and yeah, less work. If you can get, accomplish the same thing with less work, why not? Right. Well, thank you. That was it. All right. Well, thank you for that, Jill. And uh, do we have anybody else? We do. We have Heidi is next. All right, Heidi. Hello. Um, like Joe, I was thinking you could probably do mini penne for the pasta. And are you going to end up sending out the recipes that he talks about by chance? Well, no, I think I did advise everybody to bring a pen and paper or something to write with. Um, but I'll see if I can, I'll, I'll, I'll work on coming up with a written form of these, but for now, um, if you have a way of, uh, taking notes, that would definitely be a good idea. I should have mentioned that at the beginning of the call too. Um, but, uh, because, uh, these were all given verbally, so I've not had the chance yet to actually write them down. Um, but... Uh, I will work on that over the next week and see what we can uh, do. That would be great. Thank you so much. You are most welcome. All right. And uh, do we have anybody else? Not at this time. And uh, do we have anybody over in Clubhouse? Remember, guys, you are more than welcome to participate. Not too. at this time. All right. 
Very good, then. So, um, penne pasta, I wonder if, like, a macaroni would be another good pasta, because that would be an elbow noodle um, that uh, you could use, for sure. Um, I tried using elbow noodles, and they said, no, you don't have a leg to stand on, and I said, but you're an elbow, not a leg, and uh, that didn't go over too well. Um, anyway, on that note... Let's move on to our second recipe, where Carl is going to talk uh, to us, this time, about soups. So, uh, let's talk soup, shall we? Uh, my next recipe is uh, actually is a soup recipe. I'm going to jump around a little bit, see what we've got time for. So, my next recipe uh, is a soup recipe. This is a recipe that my partner invented, kind of accidentally. This is a great example of when, you know, sometimes you'll experiment and it'll work. And sometimes you experiment and it really won't. But this one worked. For the most part, actually, if you have got some random ingredients, but you know that they roughly go together, then put them together. And like, if, if, if the ingredients are nice and they're, and they're cooked properly, then theoretically, the, 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 pro, the, you know, the food you make should work. I mean, obviously, certain flavors go better together and stuff like that. And you know, you need to sort of bear that in mind. But when it comes to experimentation, that's kind of a rule that doesn't often go wrong. Try not to get too carried away. Don't get too far out. But if if you like the things that you put in a dish, then you'll listen, you'll you'll most likely enjoy what what it turns out like. But and if you don't, then you know not to do it again. Exactly. Yes. And you know, and you'll think about what doesn't work as well. When you don't like something that you've tried cooking, it's not a waste because you can think about why you don't like it. Like oh, you know. It might be a waste of the food. Before you just go, well, that's rubbish. That's a waste of my time and throw it all away. Think why it's a waste. What what happened? And make it better. Refine them. All these recipes that we find on websites and stuff, they're just refined for people trying, people stumbling across the right things. So this soup recipe that really did work, this is great. And it's great because it's so simple. You need a tin of uh, chopped tomatoes. They normally are... Tins in the UK are about 400 grams, a standard sized tin. You need a pack of bacon, preferably not too fatty. So you kind of want leaner bacon if you can. Packs of bacon in the UK come in at about 300-ish grams, which is roughly half a pound, slightly over half and three quarters of a pound. So um, sort of think about that. Um, but yeah, you want it quite lean, really, because you're going to use all of it and you don't want this to be too fatty. Um, you can cut the rinds off as well if you want to. Um, but I don't because they, they add flavor, but they might be better, particularly if there's a lot of them, a lot of rind. And you need two or three, preferably three bell peppers. So like a red, red different colors can be good, like a red one, a green one and a yellow one for a bit of variety. We like red peppers, so we often just use red peppers. And a little bit of water to water it down slightly. And that is it. So you're going to chop the bacon and the pepper relatively roughly. Um, and we don't need to be too fine here because it's going to be, we're going to blend it later anyway. Okay, so chop the bacon and uh, the peppers into rough chunks, maybe a couple of inches, an inch, a couple of inches. It doesn't matter really. Yes, with the, with the bacon, if you're buying a lump of bacon, then you want to uh, dice it perhaps into sort of an inch dice so that you can not have kind of two big lumps because obviously you do need to blend them, but they need to kind of cook through. So you've chopped your peppers and chopped your 
bacon and uh, are they going to fry them? Fry the pepper and the bacon. You don't really need to add any oil because if you do, uh, well, because there's enough oil in, in the bacon, really. So you don't need to add too much oil uh, or any, really. So fry the peppers and the bacon. When they're sort of partly cooked or mostly cooked, you're going to add your tin of tomatoes and then add uh, with the juice, of course, as well, and add a bit of water. What I like to do when I use a tin of tomatoes is to actually uh, put the water in the tin first and then sort of shake that around a bit and then pour that in because then any residual tomatoes or juice or whatever, you get a little bit more from that. I haven't really got the right amount of water for you because that depends really. I suspect you're probably only going to want like one or 200 milliliters. So maybe like, yeah, like a cup uh, or half a cup. The more water you put in, basically, the longer you have to cook it because once that's happened, you're going to bring this to a simmer and you're just going to cook it for 20 to 30 minutes, 20, yeah, 20 to 30 minutes at a sort of medium heat in your pan on the stovetop and stir that occasionally. You want it sort of to thicken a little bit. So you kind of want it to, to you want the water to um, uh, sort of the, the, the thickness. To, yeah, you want it to reduce a bit, to thicken. Uh, and then once that's cooked, you're going to take it off of the heat, let it cool, and then you're going to blend it. Now, I blend soup with like with a, I have like an electric blender, but it's like a, a blender that's like, like a stalk that's kind of got blades at the bottom and then like the electric kind of kind of like an electric whisk almost but it's like a blender that you can then put into this pan you know to, to, to sort of blend this if you have one of those type of blenders then you need to do several very important things one is to make sure that you know where the cable is at all times because you don't want to kind of get the cord wrapped around it and then blend through it and then have like sparking cables in wet soup with blades it's not great don't don't do that the other is to keep your hands out of the way like at, at, at all points make sure you're very kind of clear about where your hands are where the blender is keep your hands away from the controls of the blender until you know where your other hand is out of the way because the thing with blenders is that they really don't care i'm not trying to be too intimidating because actually blending soups is great and you don't have to blend it too finely either it might be nice to leave a bit of a bit of texture and with this soup particularly actually because the bacon can be kind of a bit a bit stringy it kind of it, it kind of doesn't necessarily blend down too quickly some soups you make they'll blend down really quickly and you'll be left with a sort of a really like a thick kind of smooth soup which is right for some soups that's absolutely right if you want like a kind of a cream of potato soup or you know those sorts of things you know, you you can you can use the starch in potatoes to make a soup quite thick, but um, but it doesn't have much texture to it. This one will keep a bit of texture. This recipe is particularly brilliant because it just doesn't need very much. You don't need to add any other flavors. Bacon is salty enough. You don't need to add any more salt. Like the tomatoes kind of add a bit of a tang and a bit of a sweetness. The peppers themselves are interesting flavors, and anything else would kind of just be overshadowed anyway. So it's a really good straightforward soup. I quite like cooking soups because soups are a great way to hide healthy food in hearty in hearty food. Another soup recipe that I like is essentially a kind of a tomato and vegetable soup, which would you do a similar thing to this really. You would get some carrots and celery and dice them or cut them into sort of fine dice or matchsticks. Um, uh, you would uh, and a, and or oh, and some onion 
garlic perhaps fry that uh, and then uh, add water and uh, tinned tomatoes to that and then again and you don't even necessarily have to um blend that either it depends if you want like a kind of a chunky vegetable soup but actually that's a really good healthy soup you can add with that one you might want to add some more flavors maybe a bit of salt and pepper although i don't like putting too much salt in food there's so much salt in our food anyway i don't put much extra salt maybe a bit of pepper what might go quite well with that perhaps some thyme that might be quite a nice flavor but i'd go easy on that and you could put a stock cube in something like that maybe a vegetable stock cube to help to thicken it a little bit if you're not going to to blend it kind of as another soup but that's just one sort of for experimenting with but the thing is is with with a couple of bits of bread a couple of bits of nice bread you've got yourself a really good food there and and actually in the summertime soup can be nice because you can wait for it to cool a little bit maybe but in the winter like you can have that healthy sort of vegetable soups but with like a bit of bread but it's hot and it's warming and it's just really good so yeah so that i guess is my is my second really like the, the second recipe that pepper and bacon soup and then thinking about kind of other soups soups are easy you just basically boil a load of stuff that you want until it's cooked and then eat it so anyone can make a soup with whatever's left around the base all right. Now, a couple of the things. First of all, I will point out that knives, you know, like blenders, you have to be careful around too. They don't. They don't care either. Um, they just care about what the blade, that the fact that blade's going down. And now, when you fry stuff with the garlic, do you add in the garlic right away, or do you add in the garlic like last, like get the other things going, and then add the garlic at the last minute because it can be a little bit trickier to cook. First of all, because that's a good point, Herbie. Vegetables, particularly things like onion and garlic cook quite quickly they'll fry fairly quickly particularly garlic because you tend to chop garlic quite finely for these sorts of things dice it exactly. quite finely or crush it and so it'll cook really quickly so the the one thing i would say with all of these recipes chop everything beforehand before you start cooking anything even though it makes a bit more washing up have a dish with your peppers chopped have a dish with your bacon chopped for this or when you're looking back at you know the the previous pasta recipe have a dish with your chopped pasta have a dish with your chopped um leeks and you know and then chop your garlic kind of last and make sure that you've got everything ready to go because then because timings they're not too bad ultimately most stuff is fine you know it's uh but yeah um it's better to think about the timings that things take leeks and onions and stuff will take a bit longer than garlic so yeah put them in for a few minutes first and and then add the then add the garlic um, sort of for, for another sort of five or so minutes. That's a, that's a good point. The recipe kind of calls for crushed garlic. I tend to chop garlic fairly finely because I put garlic in a lot of things that I cook, but I don't actually like the taste of garlic things, but it does add like to, to so many flavors without being like overpowering on its own. Um, so yeah, so I would, I would, um, I would, I would definitely that. And when you're frying these vegetables, kind of agitate them a little bit. So when you're using a frying pan, um, you're going to use a spatula. Make sure that it's obviously appropriate. So certain like uh, plastic spatulas that might be designed for like scraping out cake bowl, mixing bowls for cakes, but they don't do well at high heat. So make sure you're using an appropriate sort of spatula, like a silicon or a, or a pro appropriate uh, utensils for your for, for for your frying pan. You're going to hold the handle of the frying pan with your like off hand, if you like, and you're going to use your dominant hand with your spatula work your way around the frying pan sort of like pushing inwards not hard but sort of because essentially if you sort of just sweep across the frying pan from one side to another you're essentially going to like form a bit of a bow wave 
and essentially just like snowplow the contents to the other side and out over the edge. So work around the edge, kind of into the middle. That keeps stuff moving. And then occasionally just kind of, you know, just sort of move it in a little circle around the middle to stop things sticking there. But that's that's the way I would I would fry these things so that you're sort of agitating them. You don't need to do that all the time. They need to stay still to cook. But every minute or two, every couple of minutes, sort of just go around the edge and then sort of like, you know, then sort of like a little circle in the middle, which will spread it back out again properly and will stop it sticking there. And that should limit the chances of it all falling out of the edges and wasting it. All right. And Tori, do you have any comments? No, really. All right. So there you go. That is some super ideas from Carl. A couple things I will mention is one, uh, of course, you can use, you could probably use like a regular blender as well, you know, not the um, mixer type. Which would definitely. Oh, bless you. Um, whoever sneezed, you are unmuted, so um, make sure you do a, a star six there. Um, that was... Anyway, um, <clears throat> so you could uh, definitely use a regular blender and put the ingredients in. Another thing that you could definitely try, and I, and I realize a lot of people might think... You know, people think this is a horrid type of bacon, but turkey bacon, I think, would go well in this type of soup, too, because, you know, it's a lean type of bacon. It's not uh, going to be stringy the way regular bacon is or anything like that. So uh, that would be an interesting substitute you could use as well. And packs of bacon, like in the UK, come in about a half a pound, so... um, Two packs would roughly be about a pound of uh, bacon. Of course, it can depend on where you get it from. You know, if you get it from, like, say, Costco, for instance, you know, it might be a, a larger pack or whatever. But, um... All right, do we have any questions? There's currently not any hands. Currently no hands. All but right. Usually, what? as soon as you say that... Yeah. Um, not so far. So if you got hands, feel free to, or if you, yeah, if you got questions. We are also clear. All right. Well, we assume everybody has hands. They just don't have questions, but you can never be right, too I sure. Right, I guess, yeah. As soon as I said that, I was like, yeah, obviously, most people, presumably most people have. I mean, presumably. I mean, you know, I, I do know yeah. one person that doesn't, but uh, anyway. Um, all right, then. Well, I tell you what, uh. Carl, how about you tell us, uh, what are you going to talk to us about next, my friend? So the next one is one of the most exciting and simple cheese sauces I've ever encountered. And it's brilliant. You can have it with pasta. You could put it with cauliflower cheese. You could put it, uh, you could just, you could do whatever you want with it, really. Whatever requires cheese sauce. Uh, this is a great way. Lasagna, perhaps. It would go kind of as the, bet- the bechamel layer for lasagna. With uh, this cheese sauce, it's very simple. You need equal quantities, roughly 100 grams, the original recipe calls for, 100 grams of a cheese of your choice, like maybe cheddar or possibly um, um, like a blue cheese, like um, I quite like, completely forgotten what it is called now. Stilton, that's it. That's a famous British blues cheese. So if you want a bluer, sort of more of a sort of a stronger sort of sauce, um, so 100 grams of grated or very finely diced cheese, and then 100 grams of soft cheese, like a Philadelphia cheese spread or like a soft cheese spread. 
you're going to put the cheese spread in a pan, in a small pan on a low heat, like about kind of a third or sort of a half heat on your, on your hob, but lower is better. And then you're going to pour the, uh, when that's warmed up and melted sort of, and is quite runny, I guess it will sort of thin out as it, as it sort of, sort of melts really. Then you're going to pour in your cheese and you're going to stir that. And that, and then that cheese will melt in your sort of solid, more solid cheeses will melt in and they will mix together. And then you've got an amazing, particularly if you're using like a creamier cheese spread, you've got an amazingly quick and very versatile cheese sauce. And that's it. That's a great recipe. I love that recipe just because of its simplicity, versatility. You could have that on a jacket, a baked potato, perhaps as a topping. Baked potatoes, actually, as an aside, baked potatoes are a really interesting thing with cooking because they're straightforward, but you can dress them up however you like. You can have a plain baked potato. When you bake a potato, something I quite like to do is to possibly microwave it for the first, for like five or 10 minutes, about, about eight minutes perhaps on a high heat in a microwave. When you do that, you need to prick it all over with a fork because the skin otherwise keeps steaming as it heats and it bursts it, which is bad for the potato and worse for your microwave. And it's also can be quite intimidating. It won't be a problem. But just, yeah, when before you put it in, prick it kind of all over. And something else I found with baked potatoes in the microwave is to put a very thin, like a little splash of water uh, on the plate or in the, the, the dish that you're going to microwave it in because that stops it sticking to the bottom then and going kind of dry at the bottom. You really don't need very much at all, um, but it just really helps. So... When I'm talking about microwaving it for about sort of five to well, about eight minutes, uh, it's not going to be cooked at that point, but that saves a lot of time because the best way to do it really is to put it in the oven for about an hour. But that takes a long time. It uses a lot of energy that we don't need to use if we're kind of feeling about more environmental. Or uh, if it's and, incredibly hot in your house because you've got no air conditioning. So, yeah. So you put that in the microwave for about five, eight minutes or so, and then you'll take that out. And then you'll put that on a baking tray, cut the potato in half because then the middle bit gets nice and crispy as well. And I quite like the crispy bits. It's going to be quite warm though. So be careful. It's going to be hot. When I put potato, you might want to let it cool down for a little while. It doesn't matter because potatoes, it doesn't really matter if they cool down. And then if you reheat them, when you put it in the oven to finish cooking it, it's not going to hurt you like in the same way that like some food, like meat might, for example, with bacteria and stuff. So, then going to rub it with a small amount of oil and some ground salt and pepper. And then when you kind of put that back in the oven, like that will essentially make it kind of like kind of the crispy, the skin will go a bit, not crispy, crispy, but like a bit sort of firmer, add a little bit of flavor to it. Yeah. And then, and then I would, I would bake it for about another 20 to 30 minutes. If you've put it in when it's still hot, you might be right with sort of 20 minutes ish. 30 minutes will probably do. Depends on the size of the potato as well. Baking potatoes should be big. You choose your biggest potatoes for baking and your smallest potatoes for mashing because if you're going to mash them up anyway, it doesn't matter how small they are. But wasting a good big potato that you could have baked is quite sad, really, when you then chop it up. Uh, that's a strange potato. Plus it's more work to chop up the big potatoes. Well, exactly. And then you can just eat your potato like that, maybe with a little bit of butter on it when it's cooked, and that's it. You can just eat that baked potato as that. That's a hot, warming, great thing. You can pour that amazing cheese sauce over it if you want to. 
or you can have a baked potato with a side salad. You can have a baked potato with a bit of leftover chili. Like you can make a kind of a chili con carne or a vegetable chili, which goes well with a baked potato. Uh, baked potatoes go quite well with what the last recipe I'm going to give you in a moment as um, uh, as well, um, uh, which is kind of a, a cheese and meat kind of medley because there should always be cheese and meat medleys. But anyway, but a baked potato is great. A baked potato is simple. It's safe. It's wholesome. And actually, even in the summer, again, we're talking about kind of like, you know, it's kind of summertime for most of us at the moment. And a baked potato can feel like a big hearty thing. If you maybe you have it with baked beans and grated cheese, that's a really good, hearty, feel good, winter warmer meal. You could then even put a couple of sausages on the side. But if you just have it maybe kind of with a side salad or maybe a bit of tuna mayonnaise, if you like that sort of thing, you know, in the summer, it's a, it's kind of a lighter meal, you know, it kind of represents a slightly lighter meal when you're feeling kind of hot, but you still need to cook. So a baked potato is a great versatile food. So yeah, the, the, the cheese sauce, the point of this was that cheese sauce, two ingredients, really simple. When you're stirring a cheese sauce or something like that, when you're making a soup or a stew or a cheese sauce or anything liquid on the stovetop, I think I might have gone into some of this before, but use a pan that's slightly bigger than you need. Not too much bigger, because essentially if it's kind of too wide and like particularly with this sort of cheese sauce, there's not that much of it. So if it's too wide and it's kind of just, you'll essentially just end up like frying the cheese and making some weird and just spoiling it. Don't spoil cheese. But um but a little bit bigger than you want, because then if you do end up sort of like stirring it too vigorously, it shouldn't go over and spoil, like put the gas out or stain the, you know, or stick to the stove top. Um, so yeah, use that. And again, and don't be, you don't need to do, you don't need to stir things vigorously. So stir gently with this. So stir like, hold, again, hold the, hold the handle of your pan in your off hand and stir with your main hand. So that you kind of got that control stir around the edges to make sure that like it's not kind of like sticking to the sides of the pan and then sort of do a smaller sort of circle in the middle you don't need to sort of necessarily stir these things constantly there is when you make a cheese sauce using like the classic kind of method with like flour and butter and milk kind of as a standard roux like a standard white sauce base then you need to be a bit you pay a bit more attention to it that's a bit more complicated but this particular cheese sauce it's really forgiving and it's um just really tasty ah, have it with pasta and you can put other stuff in it too like if you want to um i would um uh what have i done with that i've sliced up some mushrooms cheese and mushroom is a very famous like combination maybe some spring onions or scallions salad onions they're all that's the same thing but they're all called that in different places sort of slice them it kind of in, in little rings and you might want to sort of fry them a little bit first and mix those cheese and onion sauce is very good but you could have cheese and bacon cheese and ham they go really well together if you've got cooked ham actually if you've got a few slices of cooked ham left that you need to use up you know then just pull that roughly into sort of pieces and just scatter that into the sauce just before you're ready to serve it and it'll just warm up with it and that's just that's great that is um you could do that with other things like i don't know maybe maybe like cauliflower cauliflower cheese i think is really is uh, i really do like cauliflower cheese and again i guess the good thing about this is that you could use you could sort of use sort of vegan alternatives i guess i'll hand over to, to, to tori for this in a minute i think as well but like you can get vegan cheese spreads and you can use tofu or a vegan cheese substitute to to sort of thicken it and and uh, cauliflower obviously is 
relatively vegan these days. So yeah, I don't know how you do that. I mean, I suppose it depends what you cook it in, but generally, yes, cauliflower does tend to be classed as vegan. Hmm. But actually, yes, you could easily make the cheese sauce using vegan substitutes. There are loads of different um, cream cheese and regular cheese alternatives out there these days. Um, Go with whichever your favorite brand is. If you haven't got a favorite brand, then try different ones and see which ones you like. But almost everywhere has them in some shape or form these days all right so bit uh, cheesy there um does anybody have any questions comments i will say they not yet i will say here the because we have a different electrical system than the uk i don't know if it's as big of a deal for us over here, like uh, with the baked potato. I'm using the oven for the entire hour. Um, um, the, the microwave method, I guess it's quicker, but eh, I think I'd rather take the time and just do it fully in the oven myself. But, yep. And we've got some hands now. We've got All right. um, We've got a couple. Um, we've got one repeat. I'm going to go with, with Ibrahim first because he hasn't talked yet. So we'll go with All right, first. sounds good. I was just going to say, um, I'm glad that Carl is on my, on my team with the microwave back protectors thing. <laughs> um, yeah, it sounds good. Um, yeah. Uh, so I tend to do exactly, uh, what he says, uh, cut it up, put a little water at the bottom. Um, all great tips to make a great microwave big potato. <laughs> All right, let's get him booted. I'm muted. I mean, did I say no? Wait a minute. Uh, yeah. Okay. You, you, you guys can do that. I like a nice crisp baked potato um, that doesn't need to be irradiated or whatever that thing does to uh, the microwave can destroy nutrients. By the way, guys. So just I, I will point that out. And um, you know, I, 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 I've, I, I've been suspicious of that thing for a long time myself. I still use it occasionally when I have no choice. But. Um, We'll talk about that later on, actually. Um, all right, who's next? Next up is Jill. Hello. Um, I really liked Carl's reminder of like just classic combinations of food that you would traditionally see together, like the mushroom and cheese and bacon and tomato. And it's just... Um, cause now when you go to restaurants, there's so many that do all these funky fusions of things, which, I mean, I, I get that too, like, but I, it's kind of nice and refreshing and inspiring hearing just classic type, straightforward cooking that, um, it just inspired me to kind of be reminded of those combinations of things that it, it could be a well-balanced and, good meal just sticking with more traditional type cooking and uh, also the other comment I think Carl did an amazing job of audio description as far as food because when he was describing how uh, to stir in a saucepan when he was doing you know keeping it from the sides and like sauteing it at the beginning it was like an amazing visual description I got 
of that in my mind when he was describing that. So um, that was really excellent as a blind listener, kind of really getting an idea how you would see that in a pan by just using the spoon to to navigate whatever you're touching. So it was excellent and a great combination of a pasta dish and the potato and soup. So that all really went well together. Excellent. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'll uh, make sure these comments get passed on to Carl. And uh, thank you, Jill. Mm-hmm. Thank okay. you. Okay. Who is next? Um, Ibrahim's got his hand back up. Again? But um, uh, talking about the microwave? All right, anyway. <laughs> um, I wanted to say that um, I'm super lazy, so I don't like poking my potatoes with a fork. I instead go ahead and um, already slice them sort of halfway through on the one side, uh, um, maybe a centimeter uh slices and then I turn it upside down and slice it the other way uh, also halfway through uh, so one horizontally one vertically on the sides of potatoes and I find that easier than you know stabbing it and pulling out the fork <laughs> okay um, well you know it's not my place to make judgments here on the uh, callers I will say that I didn't think it took that much effort to uh Slight the stab of potato. I'm, I'm lazy. I'm lazy. <laughs> but I will point out that I think your method actually involves more work. Um, uh, not really. Not really. Okay. <laughs> um, if you say so, because you know you just I just stab it with the fork a few times, put it in the oven, let it bake for an hour, and then I slice it in half, and uh, voila, I've got my potato, and I can put the butter on it, and it's uh, ready to go. That's all I do. That's. Uh, you know. I already put the butter on um, while it's like I put it in the microwave. <laughs> that, you know, could be interesting. That that part I don't have a problem with. But, uh, all right, I mean, I guess you have the advantage of it's cool enough to put the butter on right off the get-go instead of putting it on a hot potato. But, um, all right, um, pre-made uh, meals there, right from your home kitchen. That's how it works, guys. All right. Um, anybody else? No, there's no one else, but I was just thinking at some point, maybe that's a topic for you. Maybe you two should do like a thing going back and forth, like a pro-con microwave thing. All right. Well, (laughs) you know, I will briefly talk about an experience I had, and then we'll get back to Carl. So this last week, I had no choice but to use the microwave. Um, And uh, when I was in Spokane, Washington... It was that I, I described the kitchen for you all last week because I had the flat top stove, which the microwave was sitting on, and then there was an oven, which you know was touch screen based. So I was not touching that thing. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just not. Um, but uh, anyway, one of the frustrations I had to deal with, I mean, this is where technology proved to be interesting. So uh, my mother-in-law had gotten us these uh, frozen, well, they weren't frozen, they were refrigerated meals. So it was like this chicken coconut thing. So I had to use, do two different things because I could use the barcode scanner like with Seeing AI and I should have tried Envision to see if I had any better luck. I was just too impatient. Um, But I was able to use Seeing AI to actually scan the document um, 
like the box, but I was struggling to find, and I could get the bar, barcode and stuff like that, but I was struggling with like the short text to find the cooking instructions. So I had to Google the product just to find the cooking instructions because it was one of those things that came in a pack inside a tray. So it was like, uh, okay, do you actually put that directly in the microwave? And sure enough, like the instructions I read said, um, um, you know, take it out of the pack, put it in the tray, and then cover it. So, and uh, so it's a good thing I did look at the instructions, and um, I think they were different than what was written on the box because I asked my mother-in-law to read the other box. And um, but anyway, that was my interesting experience there with the microwave. But yeah, we I will gladly uh, we we will definitely arrange a discussion on the pros and cons of the microwave. Maybe we can get a good little debate team going on. Um, go. And Chanel has her hand raised. All right. What do you want? I mean, <clears throat> yes. I just wanted to say. Uh, now I'm losing my voice again. That with the baked potatoes, I grew up having them microwaved and I didn't really care for them much. I've had them done in the oven and the air fryer and like them a lot better. And that's all that needs to be said. All right. So I've already got a fan based on the cons of the microwave. All right. I'm really loving this. All right. So we've got two choices here, guys. We can talk about the pros and the cons of the microwave or we can get to a. Uh... I was just saying how I like baked. Yes. I was making it related to baked potatoes. Yes. OK, fair enough. Good point. Um, yeah, I don't like them microwaved myself either. And um, yeah, they, yeah. Anyway. Um, all right. Very good. There's Chanel. Anybody else? Nope. All right. So we do have some more commentary from Carl. Unfortunately, he is not here to defend his microwave, but uh, that's okay. Um, I apologize. I missed. I was, I was muted. I didn't realize I was muted. Um, Sue has her hand up. Oh. Why do you want? I mean, yes. I'm so nice to the callers today. But I know them, so. All right, unmute. All right, I've sent you the ask to unmute thing. Sue, you can unmute and. Yeah, I got it. Hello, there we everyone. Go. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I'm with Chanel and you, Herbie. It has to be the oven for a baked potato. Yes. <laughs> And as hot as Seattle gets, I don't care. Warm up that kitchen because it's just the best in the oven. And you need to try it with baked beans one day. <laughs> I'll introduce you to that. <laughs> no, anyway, that is a very British thing. And the American side wins out over on that one. So, Well, <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> Yeah, okay, anyway, so we we got more stuff to get to. You see why I'm aggressive to the callers here, guys? You know, I mean, baked beans with baked potato. That could be an interesting... That's how you really feel. That, that could be an interesting morning crew question. Would you eat baked beans with your baked potato? Okay, um, so if anybody on ACB Presents wants to tackle that question... You get a free pass because you already know my answer. So um, you, you, you don't have to worry about me answering the question that day. Um, <laughs> anyway, so on that note, last check for hands in Zoom or Clubhouse. All right. So um, let's now. Tyann. Hear- Tyann's got her hand oh, up. Tyann, yes. Uh, so I think uh, 
I, I might be able to uh, get Alan to get up that early to talk about the microwave as well. All right. Well, it sounds like we're going to have an interesting, uh, we're going to have a cooking call devoted to the microwave, it sounds like. So I will talk to uh, my scheduler about that. And um, we will get that arranged. And um, so Ibrahim, Tyann, Chanel, um, and No, uh, any- not me. No, not you? You're- okay. I said not no. me either. No, well, we we were also we need to be able to talk about the cons of the microwave, not just the pros. So that's why. So now we've got two. I think you've. I think we've opened a can of worms here because we've got two hands now. <laughs> All right. Um, well, don't put the cans of worms in the microwave. No, but, definitely uh, don't do that. At least take the lid off first. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay, we're getting comedy from our hosting. All right. Um, but, but let's let's go to uh, Anthony. Anthony's got his hand out. Anthony. All right. I'm I'm fifty fifty on the microwave, but absolutely no on the baked potato in the microwave. Um, and I absolutely love baked beans. So I want to hear more about baked beans and baked potatoes. I've never had them together. All right. Well, let's see if we can get my mother back up here and she can talk more about baked beans and baked potatoes. So since Carl isn't here, um, uh, you can talk. uh, Have you ever done that combination that Carl uh, mentioned? All right. uh, So yeah, you got your hand. Oh, sorry. Hello. Hello. Yep, yep, you're good. Okay, yeah. Um, and there's two thoughts with the baked beans. Um, you know, I, Herbie, you know I love butter as well. So I am going to bake the potato after piercing the skin, putting it in the oven for an hour, and then I cut it in half, and then I'm going to... I've already heated the baked beans up in a small saucepan, so then I'm just going to pour... Put butter on. I put butter on first. You don't have to, and you just pour the baked beans over the top. Or if you don't like that, you can, I suppose, have it as a side dish. That's another thought. If you don't like two items touching each other. Oh, um, I'm thinking like two slices of bacon, one on each half of the potato, and then slathering it with the beans. That would be awesome. Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs> I haven't done that, but that's a that's a good thought. <laughs> but it's got to be British bacon for me. Yes, it has to be British bacon. <laughs> <laughs> now that sounds delicious. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But um, it's. I mean, can you? You can't go wrong with a baked potato, though, can you? Just put butter on it. It's good to go. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm. Goodbye. I'm going again. Goodbye. All right. All right. And we still have one. And Abraham is back for a third round. (laughs) Um, I was just going to say, I think uh, Cody spoke about the microwave uh, cookbook. And I think Heidi will teach us us how to, what is microwave broccoli? um, Yes. Was it broccoli there? Uh, I, I probably was traumatized by the idea that I forgot about it. So, um, <clears throat> um, I mean, I think uh, we roped, we might have roped Travis in for a bit of microwave mayhem. Yes. All right. We're going <laughs> to arrange the microwave mayhem <laughs> cooking show. And I'm going to see if I can recruit somebody else that's not on the call to uh, back me up on the uh, con side of it. Just we, we, we'll make sure you all get a balanced point of view. 
on the microwave. Um, but we will talk about microwave cooking. Um, and by the way, it is after after ten o'clock, so I don't. Uh, I don't know I how did, long your final segment with Carl is. But. I'm wondering that too. All right. Um, so we do actually have one other recipe that we're going to try to get to now with Carl, unless we have any other raised hands that uh, we got a bit sidetracked here with our microwave stuff. So there's no um, hands right now. All right, let's try to get this one in. So I have uh, one more recipe planned, but then I'm happy to freeform if we if we um, uh, if we have the time. But yeah, so I I have one more recipe, and uh, my last recipe is now I gave this the quite pretentious name of dolce latte beef tumble because I happened to make it initially with dolce latte cheese, which is a type of uh, hardish blue cheese. It is another recipe that actually it's quite good because you can be quite versatile with the ingredients. Uh, essentially, you want some cubes of beef steak and you'd want these smaller cubes, kind of bite-sized cubes, maybe sort of an inch, half an inch cubes of beef steak. And you may want to marinate these ahead of time, possibly in some sort of like Cajun spice mix or something, not to make them too spicy, but just to give them a bit of flavor. To marinate something, basically you'd be taking the raw, usually meat, but you can do it with vegetables. And you'll be making up like a mixture. There are some kind of wet marinades, which you perhaps would mix sort of oil or vinegar and, and some herbs. There's also sort of drier ones where you'd kind of have like, I think let me put more of a rub really. So you might kind of, you know, put a mix of sort of herbs and spices or curry paste, perhaps if you're using jarred curry pastes, and then you'd um, sort of toss the meat in this and then you put it back in the refrigerator and keep it refrigerated for kind of as long as possible. But when I say that, I don't mean days and days because that is bad, but you essentially preferably overnight, maybe the night before you want to cook your meal, but really a couple of hours is fine. Possibly even 30 minutes if you're pushed for time. It just adds something. It just lets the meat absorb the flavors a bit better sort of for when you cook it. And then when you cook it, you don't want to shake off the marinade or anything like that. Just, you know, so well, some liquid marinades, you would take it out of that because you don't want to keep that. But if it's kind of got the herbs on it, I would I would then cook it in them. So just put that straight in your in your pan. So you've got your, you've got um, diced beef, Again, there aren't really recipes for this. I think a steak, like for one person kind of in the UK, might be looking at about 250 grams. So you might be looking at like a half a pound, sort of an eight to, yeah, an eight odd ounce steak, um, kind of for one person. Um, but when you buy diced, like if you can buy pre-diced beef, which is often for casseroles, and it does make it a bit chewier, but it's fine, really. Um uh, but yeah, or you can chop up some leftover like beef you have from a roast or something. So yeah, so think about that. Maybe about um, maybe about eight ounces of beef per person. Um, you want uh, then some mushrooms, um, probably fifty grams or two ounces ish of mushrooms per person, perhaps, and then uh, a red pepper. Um, chopped fairly finely. I don't know if anyone uses bell peppers much. So when you're making it, when you're preparing a pepper, peppers have got this interesting kind of core that's kind of like all the seeds stuck together, kind of in a central core. So you essentially need to take that out, and then um, and then you've got kind of all the edges of the pepper. You can eat the base of that as well, but you sort of uh, cut around the 
the central piece kind of around the stalk um and sort of take you take that middle piece out or cut it in half and scrape the seeds and the center piece out and then you can kind of cut that up really just dice up what you've got left is actually they're actually quite hollow when you've taken that out peppers are um but they're quite straightforward to then cut up as you like um so you've got a bed pepper and then again some onions i think spring onions are better for this because they're a bit lighter so spring onions, scallions salad onions however you know them um and again you're going to be cut, chopping the little bulb piece off the bottom you're going to be chopping the leaves off the top you're going to be rinsing them out because they are another one like leeks that were prone to sort of kind of collecting dirt and then you're going to be just slicing them lengthways in little rings and then basically you want to fry all of this stuff up together the the, the 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 time that you put all these ingredients in will depend on how rare you like your meat. You don't have to have meat, of course, if you want to make this uh, vegetarian um, or, or vegan. Um, you don't have to have meat, um, but that's kind of part of the of the fun of this. Um, you could always use firm tofu. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, to give it a bit of texture and sort of bulk. Um, so yeah, fry that up until it's kind of cooked to your to your preferences. Um, probably, I would say ten to fifteen minutes, um, as long as the pan is hot to start with. Uh, then, once that's cooked, you're going to pour that, uh, tip that into like a into a flattish kind of heat proof dish. And while that's been frying, you've been preparing your cheese. So. I have found this works better to use a mixture of like a blue cheese. So Gruyere, perhaps Stilton Dolce Latte, which is kind of where I kind of got it from. Um, or what, you know, your, your favorite sort of firmish blue cheese, cause you want it to be relatively firm. Um, and also then, uh, like a hard kind of white cheese, like a cheddar or, or those sorts of standard sort of cheeses. Um, I would probably say, although I just add cheese till I, my conscience tells me I should stop, but you probably want about a hundred grams of each. So sort of three to four ounces of each. You want to cut them into slices. And then when you've made your, uh, when your uh, veg, uh, food is fried, you put, put that into the, into the oven proof, into the grease proof, the dish, and then you, uh, spread that across and then you arrange the cheese alternating kind of over the top i kind of use a round dish sometimes and then sort of have it kind of in a bit of a wheel but you alternate slices of blue and white cheeses and then you put that under the grill um several um and then uh, after eight to ten minutes five to ten minutes depending on how your grill works the cheese will have melted and uh made like a kind of a nice melty kind of possibly slightly kind of like um golden brown kind of cheese crust over the top but the cheese will have melted into the into the into the recipe into the main ingredients as well and that's the main point really um i suggest grilling it you could microwave it at this point if you wanted to um but if you did that you would have to grate the cheese rather than um slicing it mix it through basically you could put it in the oven at this point actually and bake it and actually, you could, uh, in fact, uh, you could grate some cheese and mix it through. And then you could grate some cheese up with bread and then mix them with some breadcrumbs and sprinkle them over the top and make this into a kind of bake, actually, into a sort of a, into yeah, that would work as a meal in itself then, just as a bake, which you could serve with wedges or it might, you know, ever 
famous baked potatoes. Um, sa- um, pasta, perhaps you could serve this with pasta, with fr- fries, chips. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I eat this a lot with fries, and you can put it over them, kind of have kind of loaded fries, really, or kind of have it with them. So yes, uh, but I'm, I'm getting distracted by the variations. But yeah, so you are going to put it under the grill when it's nice and sizzling, golden brown. Take it out. Just do what you want with it. Really, it will tend to mix up together. This isn't a particularly firm thing, so you'll be taking out sort of spoonfuls of it, which is why I call it sort of my beef tumble because all the stuffs tumbled and mixed together. The cheese is mixed together. Um, but again. It's just a nice sort of versatile thing. This would be a great, go great with a baked potato, great mix with pasta. Um, but actually, you wouldn't need to do grill it. I would suggest if you're going to mix it into like a pasta thing, you could actually, in fact, you could kind of do a variation of the pasta pie. So the pasta pie thing kind of is a kind of a use of pasta as quiche. But really, to make a pasta bake, kind of a generic pasta bake, you basically fry up those ingredients I've talked about mix that with some pre-cooked part like al dente pasta so al dente is slightly undercooked sort of pasta um slight put arrange the cheese slices on, on top and bake it in the oven instead it will need a bit longer probably 20 to 25 minutes for the cheese to melt and go golden on that in that but you could do it like that as a pasta bake that is basically a pasta bake a pasta bake is just cooked pasta any ingredients you like with cheese and or breadcrumbs sprinkled over the top bake it for 25 to 30 minutes till the top, top goes crispy. And that's a pasta bake. And that's another great meal, a pasta bake, because you can put anything in it. Um, you, it's it's a good one to cook for a crowd, actually, if you've got like a few people around for dinner, because you can make a big pasta bake that serves like four or six people. Uh, serve it with a side salad um, to make it kind of go a bit further. I don't like salad. I don't know why I'm suggesting so many side salads, but, you know, we should. We should eat more salad. Um, it's better for you. Um, yeah, so again, that's kind of variations on that. Um, but yeah, with, with the, with, yeah, with the, the main thing, you just, yeah, mix your ingredients, cheese over the top and serve it as you like. One of the things I think about the recipes that I've suggested today is that hopefully they give you an introduction to lots of different types of cooking. So we're looking at frying some vegetables, which is getting us used to the stove top. We're thinking about things we could bake with our potatoes, with our, with our pasta bakes. We're thinking about things we could, um, we're thinking about like soups and stews. And once you've kind of got the idea of the basics of these things, you can then just do what you want. Once you're confident cooking in those ways and you get the idea of what cooked, I don't know, what cooked leeks feels and smells like, then, then like that's fine, you know, then, then you can start thinking about how else you're going to use it. And a lot of recipes use these as a basis, fry it, like, uh, you could save so much paper in the world if all recipe books had a line at the beginning that said, for the following 100 recipes, you will need two cloves of garlic crushed, one onion finely chopped. And then, and then you could save two lines on every recipe because that is, that is the basis of nearly all savoury cooking. Um, and so a lot of these kind of basic techniques, like I'm saying basic actually, I mean, these are fairly kind of complicated meals, but a lot of the sort of the things that that you learn by doing these things will 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 just will be the the the, the stepping stones to just doing what you what you want really. The only time is garlic is not an essential ingredient is when dad's visiting. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously there are certain people, of course, who will have allergies and, uh, and such like, and you need to bear that in mind, but that's the same with all food, really just make sure that you think about what you're cooking for the right people. Make sure that you thoroughly clean your cooking surfaces. Don't mix ingredients. Cause you know, if there are people with allergies, cause allergies can be quite like dangerous. Um, so, you know, if there are any things like that. Well, I can think of a few other things where you would not want to use garlic. Uh, for, for instance, the brownies are is an example. Oh, garlic brownies. That's a niche. That is indeed. Yeah, fair point. That would be a niche um, preference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so same with cookies. I, I don't think people want garlic chocolate chip cookies. I mean, if you do. Although people do eat chili chocolate. So, you know, there might be some who do. You never know. You, you never know. All right. Well, those are definitely some good recipes. Um, so we've talked about like dinner and stuff. Are there any like uh, breakfast or lunch type recipes you like? Yeah, absolutely. So a really fun, like light lunch recipe um, is um, uh, a really good uh, roast mushroom recipe. So you take a couple of flat mushrooms um, and you would... Um, wash them a piece so with mushrooms uh they have got like uh like you would peel the caps off there like, like around the edges of them you'll see that there are like little bits of sort of skin that you can sort of peel and that'll peel peel them off of the cap you know you um, don't actually have to peel them no of course you don't have to um like um I, it can sometimes be good but yeah true you don't have to and there's the same as the stalk debate as well the thing with mushrooms as well i quite like when i chop certainly when i chop mushrooms to put in things i will use the stalks Lots of people take the stalks off. Um, this particular recipe, flat mushrooms tend to have shorter stalks, so you could possibly leave them on. Um, I prefer to use bigger, flatter mushrooms, actually, because they're easier to chop, they're easier to peel if you're going to peel them, and this recipe needs them anyway. So you, that's two mushrooms per person, large kind of flat mushrooms peeled if you want. You should wash mushrooms, always wash mushrooms, because of the way that they are grown. Um, but you should do so by dabbing them with a paper towel because they absorb the water. Exactly. So, but you should also dry them. Yeah, as well going next. Yeah, once you've washed them, though, you should definitely dry them because they do absorb water. So, yeah, dab them with a paper towel, but but very gentle with them because mushrooms are quite soft. You don't. Yeah. So dab them gently. You're then going to um, uh, rub the caps, particularly with a little bit of olive oil or oil. The olive oil is better, I guess, for a bit of flavour. Um, and then uh, on the um, uh, and then put them on a bit of baking uh, a tin foil on a baking tray um, with the caps downwards, and then on the underside of them you're going to sort of dot sprinkle around some pine nuts and some sort of soft cheese. A like goat's cheese is particularly good for this original recipe. Just sort of a small handful of pine nuts and some goat's cheese, and then you put them in the oven and sort of bake it bake for quarter of an hour or so medium to hot oven not too hot but like yeah sort of 180 or so degrees i would say for about 15 20 minutes it might take a bit more um you can eat most of that stuff as it is really but uh, not ideally kind of raw mushrooms are i think an acquired choice um but yeah kind of 15 to 20 minutes that's that's quite a nice sort of uh, light lunch recipe um, a good starter as well for, for meals. Um, and, um, yeah, um, 
and again, you can sort of have that on on its own, maybe with uh, possibly with a with a few potato wedges, with a salad. Um, but yeah, that's that's quite a nice little light uh, light recipe. Um, I do you know I really like just bread and cheese. I know we're back to cheese, back to cheese again, but there is nothing. There is very little nicer than fresh bread. Now, I'm not going to get into baking bread. We haven't the time. That's a whole other thing. We can talk about baking bread um, another time. But uh, but by like a nice fresh, uh, like a French stick or like a uh, uh, baguette. Um, I like that cut into circles, like cut into little discs um uh, with a bit of butter on it and uh there's a particular sort of brand of sort of goat's cheese goat's cheese has a slightly sharper taste so like a slightly soft goat's cheese and then uh, and then sort of like spread that over it and just have a plate of those really because it's actually it looks quite decadent but you've just you've just sliced bread you've just it's just bread and cheese you know but it looks quite decadent it feels quite decadent and it's a nice light wholesome wholesome thing that doesn't require any cooking at all when you're cutting though bread knives you bread knives are normally serrated serrated knives can give you quite a cut because of the way that they kind of cut through things so you're going to be super super careful you can get um guides actually uh, in mainstream shops on amazon and things like that um for cutting bread which are basically sort of plastic or wooden boxes um and they're open at one end and at the top at the other end, there's like an adjustable um, section so that you can uh, move it to make the box slightly larger or slightly smaller. And near to that end, there's like a groove cut in the sides of the box at both sides so that you can put the knife through that groove and that will channel it down. Kind of a bit like a, a guillotine would work, really. But you're not just letting it go and dropping it because it's not about the weight there, but it holds it straight so you can cut nice straight slices of bread. Those are available quite reasonably priced on all like and like certainly on amazon and that's where i got mine from i think you can get some from sort of specialist shops um as well um and um yeah so that's really good the reason that the thing is adjustable at the other end is so that you can adjust the thickness of the slice so basically you can often move them so they're quite close to the point where the knife goes in so that you've got quite a thin slice if you want um or you can make them kind of thicker they're really good because then you can hold the bread kind of at the far end of the box, well away from the knife and your hands are safe, but you're, but you can still tell that you're cutting straight. You'll know how thick your slice is because you push the bread up against the adjustable end and you'll know kind of, you know, what that's giving you. Um, so, you know, so that's a really fun thing. That's just a mainstream thing that's there because quite frankly, no one can cut bread straight because it's really hard. So that's one thing where actually we're, not disadvantaged for being blind. We just we just disadvantaged because bread's complicated. So yeah, just 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 slices of bread and sort of cheese. But you could put anything else you wanted on. You could have just like slices of like salami or something. You could have um, you could uh, have tuna uh, mayonnaise, perhaps sort of like open sandwiches. Yeah, you could you could do that sort of for lunches. And we will cut Carl off there because, well, we've got about seven minutes left and I want to see if anybody else has any final questions before we get out of here. Not presently, but as we said before, you just give people a second. And... 
All right. Well, if there's no questions, um, then we'll have a couple more minutes of Carl, and uh, then we'll wrap things up here. Breakfasts. Mm. Breakfasts. Um, I quite like yogurt and cereal with with fruit. So there's a lot about being kind of experimental. You know, there's a lot about having breakfast cereals kind of with milk, um, kind of as a straightforward breakfast. You can have toast with butter, with, you know, uh, or a spread um, with honey. Toast and honey, of course, is just a nice, wholesome, relatively healthy meal. It's, you know, it's not healthy because it's because it, but it's natural sugars, so it's better. Um, and honey is actually quite good for you in general. But you do need to bear in mind that it is a sweet content, so that might be relevant if you're sort of diabetes or watching your weight or anything. Um but certain sort of cereals like your um, granola or sort of, you know, uh, type cereals, you can get kind of relatively plain kind of granola cereals. I've actually got recipes, I think, somewhere. I don't have them to hand, but sort of for, for kind of making granola type breakfast cereal, which is sort of clumps or flakes. Of, we did um, actually make granola on a coal. Oh, there you go. Then you probably know more about it than me. But mixing your granola to your tastes is really important. And actually having that with yogurt rather than with, with milk, like granola and yogurt is a really nice breakfast because yogurt's a bit better for you, I think, kind of in terms of bacteria for your kind of the health of your guts. You can mix fruit in with it. And so like some dried fruit, possibly some like dried tropical fruits, like a bit of uh, papaya, um, uh, pineapple chunks you can get, kind of mixed dried fruits or like raisins things like that and you can sort of mix them into taste and then that gives you kind of a bit of like add some vitamins add some sort of like mix you know just i don't know adds a bit of diversity to it and we will stop right there so one thing i forgot to mention earlier when we're talking when he mentioned like tinned tomatoes um tins is the um british translation for cans so um just needed to mention that. All right, guys. We are going to start heading out of here, but we're back next week. And, uh, well, don't tell Bart Simpson this because uh, he, he might uh, throw fit, but we're going to have Kayla making a, a Butterfinger cake. If you've all seen those commercials from the 90s, I know I'm dating myself here. Um, you know, he, he, he didn't let anybody touch his Butterfinger. Okay, I'll, I'll quit dating myself here now. But, um... We're going to have Kayla's Butterfinger cake next week. And uh, in September, we're also going to have an M&M cake. So we got some very unhealthy uh, cooking things lined up for you. But that's good because uh, I think that's uh, what uh, you all come for, right? I mean, um, but uh, <clears throat> no, which which is a good thing um, or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. But we are going to have Butterfinger cake next week. Um, so, uh, Kayla, we are lo definitely looking forward to uh, having you present that. And, um, there we go. Okay. So, uh, we're definitely looking forward to that next week. And, um, so, uh, get ready for that, uh, delicious, uh, treat. And, uh, Kayla, don't forget, I don't think I have an ingredients list from you, or if I do, it's buried somewhere, um. I will but, send that and the recording to you. I did yesterday. Perfect. All right. If you can get that me today or by tomorrow, um, that would be at least the ingredients list. The recording 
and you can get whenever. But if you can get me the ingredients list today, you know, then I can actually you know, look prepared and get, you know, make sure the call's scheduled on time and stuff like that. And that makes everybody happy. So, um, um, but yeah, today or tomorrow, that'll be perfect. So definitely looking forward to that. And uh, meantime, there are some other exciting calls happening today, of course. Don't forget, we got Unmute Presents. we got the Neighborhood Coffee Clatch happening right now. We've got Helpful Hints with Homophones, Abacus Made Simple, The Braille Room, French. Oh, my goodness. There is a whole lot of calls happening. So if you are on ACB Media and you've not checked out the community schedule, do so. Send an email to community at acb.org and include your name and email address and ask to be added to the community list. And you can also be asked to be added to the ACB Cooks list while you're at it, too. Um, just uh, send the same email to that email to the community at acb.org and say, I'd like to be added to the ACB Cooks list. And... Um, <clears throat> That will definitely, they'll, they'll be glad to do that. Include your name and email because it is a real person, not a machine. And it does help if you say please and thank Sugar you. Sugar has left the meeting. I want to thank everybody for coming today. Carl, who uh, was uh, pre-recorded. Darcy, great job for hosting. And uh, your advice on the uh, can of worms for the microwave <laughs> with at least... Uh, no, for, for a non-cook, uh, he certainly has some good advice there. Um, Kayla, thanks for moderating and connecting in Clubhouse. Anthony, thanks for streaming. And we're going to get you on some of these cooking calls too, my friend. So don't think you're escaping us after the call ends today. Um, he almost got drafted into making his fajita pasta uh, live on the cooking call, but that's okay. There's future times for that, and I know he wants to show us how to make bourbon balls. So, um, you come on this call, you end up getting drafted, and uh, very, very good. So, and and we will have our microwave madness mayhem at some point too. So, um, it may even be a two week thing. Maybe the first one will be like the the recipes, and the second one will be the debate on the microwave. I don't know. I'll have to talk to my uh, organizer about that. So um, if you have any suggestions for the cooking call, don't forget you can always send them my way. Just email community at acb.org and they will give you my email address or they'll send your email on to me. <laughs> 